0: This podcast is brought to you by JewishPodcast.org. Start your very own podcast today at JewishPodcasts.org. This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnyTime.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome. It's an honor and a pleasure to be here. I'm here today to share my toolbox with a wonderful audience about what's going on in dating today. There's been a huge revolution, especially with regards to the coronavirus epidemic. Before I get there, I need to give a shout-out and a thank you to Michelle and Lauren for doing such an outstanding job, and along with them, all the members of the wonderful committee that are putting this this presentation together. Because right right now, I've never seen a greater need for direction and guidance for people in Dayton. It's basically, if you want to take a journey and you want to get to the fastest point of that journey, you need to seek out of mind. You need to seek out wisdom. I spend talk to 13 hours a day, five to six days a week, while Shabbat or Shabbat excluded, excluded, dealing with these issues. I'm going to share with you today what I'm seeing, who's succeeding, what's failing, and what you can walk away with so you can become an effective and successful data. I also want to let you know that if anyone out there would like to speak with me or would like help in terms of Shibukhin from Easter, to help them in any capacity, whether it's to analyze the relationship that they're in or help them develop a the top ten list, something I'm going to speak about greatly tonight or you'd like a shotgun someone to serve as your matchmaker, feel free to reach out to me. I'm at cohen 18 at gmail.com or you can WhatsApp and text me at 305-206-1916. There is a contribution requirement for the classes which we love to support and I'll give you an appointment which will speak and we can help you because today it's never been more needed. I also want to put a shout out out there to an organization that I help pull partners into a really wonderful organization an organization that's totally for free, an organization which is really giving its life to helping people. It's a platform where you can go on there and you can put on your own sheet of resume or put it on for a friend or a family member. The whole premise is just to get to all married and build as many Jewish homes as possible. So that, I think, is a wonderful idea as well. Um, I'd like to start tonight by sharing an incredible story with you. There was an Israeli officer called Yigal Yaron. He was in his 40s. Igal, very interestingly decided that he wanted to retire early because of the stress of being an Israeli and IDF officer was getting to him. He had one mission that he had to complete, and that mission was that he had to go into the West Bank and he had to eliminate, yeah, move out the entire population because in that specific city, they were using human shields in order to, uh, to, you know, send bombs and missiles at the Israeli population, and he did so. Unfortunately, he was hit by enemy fire and he was taken hostage. Thank God the IDF was able to get him out. But after that particular project, But at the event, he said, no more, I'm done. And he told his officers that I'm retiring. Typically, an IDF officer retires in his 50s. So, okay, he decided to retire. And there he was in his home. He lived in Bayan. One day, he was walking on the street. He got a former IDF officer. When suddenly a van stops, IDF soldiers came out and just whisked him into the van and said, they want you back at headquarters. He didn't know what was going on, but he went inside the van. What was he to say? Suddenly, when he gets into the van, you know something's wrong. While, while these soldiers were dressed in IBF uniforms, they were all wearing rather, they were all speaking Arabic. He said, Oh my god, I fell into a trap. It was, it was a hostage situation, which they were going to take him hostage. They took him and they blindfolded him and they tied his arms his hands behind his back to a certain location where they started to question and grill him and he was beating him and hitting him hard. And he said to himself, You know, what? I spent 20 years in the army. I'm not going to about to give up. and going to tell them the secrets of the Jewish state. It's not going to happen. I'll die, but I won't give up the secrets of the Jewish state. And so after they hit him pretty hard and they beat him up pretty hard, they decided to take a break. And there he was sitting in the room and he was being interrogated. He can't see. But he decided that what he was going to do is he was going to hop with the chair and see what there was going on outside. So he hopped with the chair while he was tied to it. And something incredible, he discovered something incredible. Outside the room, they were talking in Hebrew. Only Hebrew. And then he had to figure out what was going on. It was an entire thing was just a test. Because what happened was, when they unfolded and they told him, they were concerned that he had retired early. Perhaps he was a mole for the Arabs. Perhaps he was an agent for the Arabs. Why would he retire early? And they were just testing him to see his loyalty. So the point that I want to make is, many of us today are being tested through this corona epidemic with many consequences whether it's our dating life or it's personal life or work or panesai has gone out the window hashem is testing us we want to see will we give in and our response is don't ever give in you have to be strong you have to be like oh, real life that we're going to an essay we're going to a test. But if you're strong and you can persevere like him and realize it's just a test, you'll come out stronger and bigger. You know what they say, if it doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger. So with that in mind, let's get started with tonight's presentation. Many people ask me Dr. Jack, do you think you could bring your, your phone a little bit closer so that we can hear you a little bit more clearly? How's that? Great. Thank you. Many people ask me the question. Should I date with my heart or should I, date with, should I date with my head? And to that, we say, as an Orthodox Jew, we date with our heads. Why is that important? Because if we date with our heart, it comes out with a feeling. Feelings come and feelings go. We have to date with our heads. And that starts with understanding who we are as individuals. Once I know myself and I know what my needs are, then I can determine who will be my soulmate in life. I'll figure out who is my partner in that wonderful journey. Unfortunately, many people don't take the time to figure themselves out, and as a result, they go into this path blindly, wasting years and decades of their life, if not more, while they search for their soulmate. So tonight, we're going to talk about creating what's called the top 10 needs list, and understanding what that is. Now, there's a difference between a need and a want. A want is something superficial. For example, I had the mother of a beautiful girl call me up recently and tell me, we need a boyfriend. She's 25, getting a little older. And she says to me, but we only socialize with a certain social class. As I started to name off boys and show her profiles of boys, she said, no, not for me. N- not good enough, not, not making enough money, not in social strata the that way. That's not how we go about looking for a shoulda. We go about for a shoulda looking for those. Mido, quality of character. And we're going to discuss that a little bit tonight. Let me just share with you some of the cases that are coming in, in the last few days. Something interesting, so that you know what's going on out there. A Baisiakob girl comes into me, or rather calls me, because her marriage lasted three weeks. Three weeks! There was no investigation done. There was no inquiry done. She just shot right into it. Imagine a wedding, rather a marriage that lasted three weeks. On the night of the wedding, the boy was on the phone with his mother for three hours. Something was definitely wrong. A woman calls me out from Europe, anywhere, six months Married, divorced. What happened there? He decided that he had to get away every other Shabbat, and he racked up $200,000 of bills on her credit card. Here's another one. A girl comes in with her with her husband, because they haven't had children in eight years. He's a product of a great yeshiva. And I asked her, what's going on? He said, he doesn't want to have children because he's blaming her ridiculously for not being a good mother, whatever it may be. But the point is, he took it upon himself to decide not to have children, not to ask the rabbi for or permission in order to go on prophylaxis or the pill. He just forced his wife to do something like this. And these are the kind of things that we're seeing today. But on the good side, on the flip side, we have so many wonderful things. We have, I have, B'Rach Hashem, numerous engagements that took place. Very interestingly, I was on the phone today with a rabbi from London, and I told him, in this period of Corona, as a dating mentor, I had 18 engagements, far more than I would normally have in an eight-week period if it was not Corona. So I'll tell you, while there may be stuff out there that's not good, there's plenty of stuff that's excellent that's going on. There's plenty of wonderful celebrations. that I- So we, we were just talking before that we have to date with our heads and not our hearts. And we're going to talk tonight about how to create and fashion a top 10 list. What else are we going to talk about? We're going to talk about how to put together a great resume, your pictures. We're going to talk about recognizing the right from the wrong person, conversation topics. So we need a strategy. We need a strategy. How do we get that strategy? Well, let's start with a little bit of a joke to understand what it means to have a strategy. Three men, Giovanni, Isaac, and Joe, are sentenced to 20 years in prison. The warden asks each one of them, what would you like to take into the prison cell with you? The Italian Giovanni asks for a wife, and the prison warden says, granted. The Jew, Isaac, asks for a telephone and the prison warden says, granted. Joe the Polak asks for a case of cigarettes and the prison warden says, granted. The cells are then locked. After 20 years, they released all three prisoners. Giovanni comes out with his wife and 12 children and he says to the prison warden, thank you so much, in his Italian accent. I'm so happy. I have a great wife and 12 wonderful bambinos. Isaac, the Jew, says, you gave me a cell phone. With that I was able to successfully call my Wall Street trader. I made millions of dollars. Joe the Pollock, who asked for a case of cigarettes, comes out and he says, can you spare a match? This is what happens when you don't have strategy. You can start with a plan, but it goes nowhere. So we need a plan. So part of that strategy is we have to look at ourselves and ask ourselves, how am I doing physically? Am I the best that I can be? Can I improve my appearance? May I, Can I visit a gym, see a nutritionist, update my hairstyle, whiten my teeth, redo my makeup, change my glasses, put on contact lenses? Don't kid yourself. These are very important things that are absolute requirements in dating. Maybe you need to revamp your wardrobe. It's very interesting. I have a situation where one of my dear students is going now on their third video date. So the girl that I called up, who I know very well, I said to her, you know, by the fourth date, we're going to have to have a physical date because what's going, now, what's going on now in this, in this Corona epidemic zone is that you start, what we're doing is we're starting with video dating. We go once, twice, three times, but it's very hard to hold such a relationship because you need that, that physical connection, which you can never see when you're dating someone on, on video or on Zoom. So she says to me, I can't go out until I revamp my wardrobe. I haven't shopped in here. Typically, I shop for around March, but you know, that crashed this year. So I have to make sure that I have my, my wardrobe all taken care of. Next, can we work on improving our attitude? Warmth appeals to people. So we need to learn to smile. Read books and take courses on happiness and being happy. And I'll talk a little bit about that tonight. Increase your imunah. That's so important. By having good imunah, you'll know you believe in Hashem. Remember, you never get a second chance to make a great first impression. So ask yourself, how are my interpersonal skills? Are they all that they can be? How are my communication skills? One of the things that I do all day, if not most of my day, is that I spend quite a bit of time teaching people how to communicate effectively. I practice with them. I drill date with them. I do role playing with them. Whatever it takes to ensure that their dating technique is good and it's sound. Because the proper communication, the right kind of communication leads to successful dating. I want to also impress upon you the point that Hashem knows your zip code. Regardless of what you're going through, and sometimes it seems like it's taking forever to find that right one in your life, he's not going to forget about you. I want to share an amazing divart Torah that I recently saw and I told over in one of my Torah anytime lectures last week. And it was about Shalom Rabashkin, the individual who was put in prison for eight years for, you know, being in the meat business. We're not going to go into that detail, but I want to tell you something amazing that he writes. It was the sixth day of Hanukkah. He had already had been in prison eight years. His lawyers were fighting day and night to try to get an appeal going to get him out of jail. On the sixth day of Hanukkah, he received a letter from the Board of Appeals from the federal government denying his last effort to be released from prison. He was looking at 18 more years of jail time. And he said to himself, wow, this could crush me. But he remembered a pasuk in Tehillim that David Amir writes, which sometimes we read often and we hear about it often, Cast your burden onto Hashem and he'll carry you. And he remembered that Pasuk. He also remembered his Rebbe, the Labavitcher Rebbe, how he understood that Pasuk. And he used to tell them, he said, when I was a student, the Rebbe told us that that word, your burden, that Hashem will sustain you, the root of that word is which means khli. That in order to be able to accomplish anything in this world, you need a vessel. You need the vessel. And that vessel is our Hishtagut, our effort. When it comes to dating, it means that I'm trying my darndest. I'm putting together a good resume. I'm dealing with a dating coach. I'm doing, I'm out there. I'm networking. I'm spreading the word about myself. When I go to work, that is also my plea. Because in order to make a living, I have to go to work in order to be able to bring home money to take care of my family. If I go to the doctor, that's the vessel as well. But what happens if I've tried everything and my efforts seem stymied and I didn't get the results that I want? And so he teaches us, Mr. Rabashan an amazing thing. When you feel like you've done it all and you've tried your plea, you turn to HaKadosh Baruch and you say, Hashem, I tried my best. I did all that I can do. Now you produce the clean. You produce the vessel. So the lesson that I want to share here is with you is that Hashem is going to give us the vessel. All we have to do is focus on Him and make sure that we put our trust in Him. And we ask the question, why are we getting married? What's it all about? Why, am I, why Why? should I even bother? We have to understand something. We're part of a great people, the nation of Kalal Yisrael. Our mission is to produce families, to build families, to build families that have wonderful children. And that's the idea of what we're doing here. We're getting married in order to have a significant other in our life. But how do we do it? It starts with our attitude. I want to share with you an incredible poem that Zelik Pliskin, who's an amazing writer, says that he saw. In 1964, Zelik Pliskin writes, I read a poem that moved me greatly. It was written by the late Rabbi Eliyahu Destler, who was an amazing Musar giant from the World War II era from England. And it was published in the third volume of his classic work, Mikhtar Yaw. And it goes like this in English. The past is only memories. The future is but only hopes. Focus on the present. For that is where your life really is. And that's, ladies and gentlemen, is what I want to impress upon you tonight. Forget about the past. Let that all go. That's behind you. Focus on today. Live in increments of 24 hours. What can I accomplish with my life today? And he writes about himself, that he memorized the poem, and he has repeated it thousands of times to himself in the, in, in the years that have passed. It's profound. It sums up one of the most important lessons we need to live our lives by to the fullest. Why is that important? Because what you focus on expands. Your life's challenge is to appreciate all that you can appreciate about the present. Because that will give you a positive, grat- grateful attitude. Gratitude is the winning formula. As I tell all my, pay- my clients and my students. Your life challenge is to experience more joy in your present if you lot in prayers and your Torah study. Your mitzvot should give you joy. Your, your prayers to Hashem should give you joy. Your challenge in this world is how you, you can, can you become a more kinder, more compassionate person, and to experience more joy for the good that you do while you're doing it. This specifically, this Corona era has brought back, has brought out the greatest of some of our people, as we've seen so many individuals come to the rescue of others and save them. Save them financially, save them personally, save them emotionally. Don't waste an excessive amount of time on regrets about the past. Those who do will miss out on making more constructive present moments. It's about what you can assemble for your life now. Don't waste an excessive amount of time worrying about the future. Those who do will miss out on the best and wisest thoughts and actions. Rather, keep climbing and elevating yourself. Keep connecting with Hashem. Keep doing good in this world. Keep doing acts of kindness keep gaining more wisdom, keep up the efforts of being the best that you can be because your entire life journey will be more elevated when you continue developing your sense of identity and self-image. What happens is, as you work on yourself and you improve, there's a concept in the Torah that says, Tavoha Beracha You don't have to go searching for Mr. Right or Ms. Right. It'll come looking for you. You want to do that and it'll be easy. All you have to do is focus on working on yourself. I'd like now to share an important area called six common dating myths. Dating myth number one, every person has one special someone. Don't think that you're relegated to one individual. And if, that, if you don't find that one person, that it's over. No, that's not the way it works. There's many worthwhile mates. A successful marriage depends less on the identity of the person chosen and more on your ability to conduct yourself in marriage on a daily basis. It's how you'll behave in the relationship. Therefore, the task before you is not to decide, is this girl the one or this boy the one? Rather, to choose a person whom you feel you can build a home together that's filled with love. Number two, one da- another dating myth, when it's the right time, it will happen. This is somewhat true but conditional. The condition being that you don't interfere with it from Hashem's perspective. He desires to get you married. The problem is through your patterns of over-analysis, over-searching, asking so many questions, requiring so many things on your, on your list that you know what, your box got out and you don't allow the right time to happen. Dating myth number three, I simply haven't met the right one. Well, how do you know? Maybe you have and maybe you told him no. Maybe the right one is in your vicinity just three, four, five feet away. An older bacher, an older student in yeshiva once came to Rakhim Kanievsky's father, his diaper gone and he says, and, and he was crying and he said to him, where is Rebbe? Where's my Besherik? Where's my soulmate? Disciple Rebbe, who was endowed with Ruach HaKodesh, with divine inspiration, looked at him, pierced him in the eye and said, my friend, she's gone. And she's long gone because of your excessive pickiness, because of your excessive desire to have Miss Perfect. She's not married with children. So it could be that we, God forbid, don't let Hashem make the right decision for us. Without you, number number dating, miss number four, without you, I'm half a person. Without you, I'm nothing. A single is not a half a person. Don't think that. A single person is not a broken vessel. A single is a complete personality. So even if you're not married, you're productive. You're generous. Sometimes people forget that singles have a life outside of dating. And they have other things going on. They work. They're involved in their communities. They do things for the crowd. So think about yourself that as long as you're single, until you find Mr. and Mrs. Right, you're going to be productive. You're going to be a great part of your community. Before you are single, you're a human being. If everything in life hinges on dating, then perhaps it's time for some soul-searching. There are great things that you can do in life that are full of substance. Study, work, family, serving Hashem, hobbies. You can be very productive and accomplish quite a bit. I didn't get married young. I got married when I was a little over 30. But I made sure that I was involved. I was involved in many organizations, the tested projects, and I was very much involved in the adult, young adult minyan in my shul. You can be involved. This is all part of the path to getting you to your destination. Dating myth number five, men disqualify women based on superficialities like appearance. It's not just true of men. Many women, I deal with many girls who reject guy after guy when I show them pictures. Not for me, not my look. Not for me, not my look. It goes both ways. It's a two-way street. Unfortunately, everyone is falling to this epidemic. So remember that it's not just men. And number six, when it's the one, you'll know. It's clear that you have watched too many romantic dramas. But real life does not work like that. It's not like you just see stars. Oftentimes, many of the relationships of many wonderful marriages took time to be nurtured, to develop. They didn't even know right away. They didn't know date one or date two. It took some time to get to know each other. And once they got to know each other, then they built a relationship based on common values, common expectations. And from there, Baruch Hashem, they went to a proposal. Let's continue with these dating myths. The smartest and prettiest women get married first. Shekir, it's a lie. A woman who's accomplished or attractive may receive more dates, but that doesn't mean she'll meet the right person any sooner than a woman who's less attractive than her. Myth number two, if you date a long time, you must really know what you're doing. Now that's a cop-out. Someone who's been dating a long time may feel that they're an expert. However, if they've been dating for so long without meeting the right person, maybe their dating repertoire isn't effective. Maybe their methodology isn't, isn't correct. Myth number three, if things don't click on the first date, we're probably not right for each other. So wrong. Give it time. Let it bud like a flower. You never know. Sometimes people are nervous. Sometimes people are not feeling well. They had a hard day at work. A professor got on their case at school. Give it time. Don't just reject that for date number one. Unless you see that there's no way you can be attracted to that individual or that person has such different values from you that you can never see or you can envision compatibility with that person. Myth number four. First impressions are always correct. No. People aren't always themselves when they meet someone who, as I've said, they sometimes are nervous. It doesn't come out easily. This is one of the things that I work on very much with people. to get them to get more comfortable with date number one and date number two. Today, unfortunately, we've become an impatient society. So give people a chance. And myth number five, if you date longer, the qualities that bother me about the other person will work themselves out. No. No courtship is completely smooth. However, when something bothers you about your date or your partner, And you can't come to terms with it at an early point in the courtship. You're probably not going to deal with it any better later on. Stretching it out and going out for months and months and months is not the way it's done in the orthodox world. You've got to get the top list, which means that you have to know how to ask the proper questions when you go out on your dates. You've got to know what to ask when you get into that a little bit later. But to go out endlessly for months on end is ridiculous. It makes no sense whatsoever. Next, why so many people are divorcing. Let's get into what's causing some of the problems. Why are so many people divorcing? Number one, we're all victims of what's called a disposable society. We go to parties. We hear people say, I'll divorce my husband and my wife. So what? I'll find a new one. Today, everything gets thrown away. Who keeps a toaster oven? Who keeps an old phone? Who keeps a used car? It all gets thrown away. And that's seeped into our mentality. And that's terrible because now it's affecting how we behave and how we value our relationships. Number two, instant gratification. For example, who ever heard that only seven or eight or ten years ago, if I took photos on my camera, I had to go to the store, wait three or four days in order to get my photos back. Today, I take a picture with my iPhone or my Samsung Galaxy. I send it to my friend in L.A. in Yerushalayim. Within two seconds, they have the they have the picture. So we've become an impatient society. We want it now, but that's not how relationships work. Relationships take time. Just look at your parents. They're married 20, 30, 40 years. They realized that there was work that was involved. and Another thing is FOMO, fear of missing out. We see other people's pictures posted on WhatsApp and on Facebook and on Instagram, their vacations, their steak dinners, their sushi dinners, and realize we want it also. And we always think that the other side has it better, better. As they say in English, the grass is greener on the other side. We're not content with what we have. Instead of looking at someone else's blessings, count your own. Realize that Hashem gave you a lot of good. You have health. You have family. You have a car. You have a job. You have vacations. Uh, it's endless what Hashem bestows upon us. So let's be, be grateful for that. Next, I want to talk a little bit about attitude. You're familiar that there was an individual, a wonderful woman who really was one of the pioneers of the Kiruv movement, Ravesta youngreis Her daughter was giving a lecture once, and a woman came up to her daughter. Her name is Slavi youngreis She's a famous psychologist, and she, and the young woman approached. Her after the lecture and she said, I got to tell you a story about your mother. And she's like this. She said, I was going out and I was an older single, but I wasn't getting anywhere. And then your mother took me out and she started talking to me. She said, sweetie, I know I'm known to tell it like it is. She was a straightforward individual who gave solid, straightforward advice. If you need to improve your makeup, I'll tell you to go for a makeover. If there's a run in your stocking, sweetie, I'll tell you to look over, look it over and get a new pair. And if you've ever had a bad breath, I'll tell you to go brush your teeth. So what I'm about to tell you, you're not going to like, but I've been watching you during the lecture, and you need to change. Rebbitzian, I must tell you, I try so hard. I take really good care of myself to look good. I always keep an extra pair of stockings handy just in case. And my bag is filled with breath mints whenever I'm on a date. That's not what I mean, Rebbitzian Yongrin said I mean, your attitude needs changing. My attitude? Why do you say that? What needs to change? You do. You go you give off a really tough attitude. Huh? The entire time I spoke, the Reverend says, you had your arms folded like you were looking for conflict and trouble. I know people and I'm telling you, you need to soften up. There's a tough attitude that, that you're giving off and it's not good for dating or marriage. And that's probably what's messing you up with the guys. And that's how, that's how it is. And then she said, and now she turns to her daughter and she says, you know what? I went home, I took her advice and decided to change. I realized that I had a tough side to me a tough streak to me. And when I imbibed what she told me and I started to change, it wasn't too long before I met my soulmate and my besher. So we have to realize that we have to know that we have to work on our attitudes. Our attitudes are critical. Now, I wanted to discuss something very important that deals with both the boys and the girls. And it goes like this. Something that my Rebbe, Shalom Arush, who wrote the Garden of Munah, the Garden of Peace, Women's Wisdom, and a brilliant man. Brilliant. And he writes the following, Sh'ten Hashim two ladies in the house. And I've read numerous articles on this, specifically last year. Ramonis Friedman, who's a great mind in dating, had a whole cover story on this concept on Tuba issue of Ami Magazine. What is the role of the man? What is the role of the woman? And what happens when they confuse these roles? And I'm going to read it to you in Hebrew, and I'll explain it to you. In accordance with the Holy Torah, the male is the giver. the And the female is the receiver. When the man takes care of his obligations, which is to give his female partner honor, ahava, love, a good feeling, and fill all her requirements, he's called the male. But if God forbid, the male reverses roles, and instead of being the giver, the beneficiary, the, benef- the benefactor, he decides he wants, he wants to be the receiver, and he complains to his wife, I want this from you, I want love, I want affection, and he's the complainer. And instead of being the giver, He becomes, he wants to be the receiver. Now we have an issue of not having a male and a female in the relationship. We have two women in the relationship, which now creates all types of crises and problems. And Ramana Spina writes about this very extensively. The man needs to maintain the role of being the giver. The man has to show confidence. He has to have a plan. I always say, the man with the plan. One of the biggest things that I see when I deal with girls, when they call me up and they want to know about a certain guy, is what's his plan? You need to have a plan. Where are you going in life? What do you, how do you plan to support your family? That's important. That's critical. So when the man has a plan and he's the benefactor and he leads with confidence, then we have the right type of relationship. The dynamics are appropriate. But it doesn't. But if it's the opposite, forget about it. And then he, he writes a story that a guy came home and he kept complaining to his wife. I'm a failure. It's not going for me. He tells her about all the, den- the denigrating comments that I made to him. And she then went ahead and supported him, gave him, encouragement, but he kept complaining constantly about himself, which is a huge no-no in marriage. You don't complain, you don't come home, and you don't self-flagellate and castigate yourself to your wife, because this will take away her honor from you, and her respect for you. And what, it, what happened in this case, Arish tells us, is that she gave him support, and she gave him confidence day after day, but in the end, she divorced him. Why did she divorce him? And he writes like this, The woman understood, She had no one to rely on. And now he was forcing her to be the male in the house, something that she's not genetically programmed to do. Her desire and her wishes is to be the receiver, not to be the giver. And as a result, even though she had helped him, she decided to say bye-bye to him and move on. Now, let's talk about some of the things that may be baggage that are getting in the way. Unfortunately, some people seem to be stuck going out with individuals that are not good for them, that are toxic for them, and they can't seem to disconnect from an old relationship, they keep going back to the same guy and the same girl, and it's not useful, and it's just wasting time. So wh- I'm going to give you some steps now, what you can do in order to be able to achieve a little uh, you know, finality there so that you can move on. Clear your baggage, acknowledge the fact that you've finally broken up with that individual, and learn how to move on. Recognize that he or she is not for you. Talk to yourself and say, you know, as much as I tried, this individual does not match me, it's not, does not integrate with me. It's not compatible for me. Reduce contact with that individual. That's so important. So you can move on. Seek closure with the individual. If there's something you have to say to them, talk it out, but finish up with it. Forgive him. Give them mechila and move on because that's so important. And then obviously, once you've done that, you've closed the book on the past, meet new people. Well, obviously now we're a little bit tested because we don't have the Shabbat dinners anymore and the Shabbat lunches anymore. We don't have the singles events. We hope we'll get them back soon. But whether it's on in, on internet sites or talking to Shat Hanim or there's live chat groups now, whether on Zoom, etc. You've got to get out there and move on. That's the most important thing. You've got to move on. Now, communication. I can't underestimate its value in dating. Communication. Many people are clueless as to what to talk about. So I'm going to share with you some ideas of what to talk about, some questions you can ask. I have some simple questions. I have some sophisticated questions, especially now that we're doing video dating in a tremendous amount, in tremendous volume. It's critical that you come prepared to your video dates with questions, an itinerary. You should practice it out. I do this with a lot of people, practicing their itinerary. What are they going to talk about? If you fail to plan, you plan to fail. You can't just come with an intention of winging it. You can't wing it. We've got to have a plan of what we're talking about. So I like to think of it as like a pyramid. The first date is the widest part and we narrow things down as we go to date two, date three, date four, date five, as you become more comfortable with the person and you expose your vulnerability even more. So we start date one with family. What are your parents like? How did they meet? Tell me about your siblings. Tell me about your nephews and nieces. If you have brothers and sisters that are married, what's your Shabbat table like? Who are your grandparents? What city are you from? Who are your friends? What, who are your closest friends? What are they like? What do you have in common with your friends? What middoth qualities do you look for in a friend? From, and how long do you know your friends? Career goals and schools. What schools did you go to? Career goals. Why did you choose the field that you went into? How do you feel about learning versus working if it's a boy? Do you enjoy your job? If you could have any job in the world, what would it be? Do you think you'll be working in the same field in 10 years from now? How do you expect yourself as a woman... To be able to balance a home life for your husband and children versus work and career. All critical good questions. Community. Where's your neighborhood like? Do you like it? Where does your family live in that neighborhood? What's your shul like? Why'd you choose that shul? Another critical area is interests. What are your hobbies? What books do you like to read? Who are your favorite authors? Who is your favorite singer? Is it Omer Adam? Is it Yaakov Shweki? Is it Chaim Israel? What do you like to do on your time off? Do you like to travel? Have you been to Israel lately? Sheurim, who's your favorite rabbi? Which inspiring speakers do you enjoy listening to? Fun topics. Chesed, do you volunteer for any organizations to do chesed? Um, what are your feelings about APAC? Have you gone to the AIPAC yearly annual event? Politics, if you want to. Although you have to be a little careful there. Um, it's very interesting. I was trying to help this older single woman who was very nice uh, this past week. It set her up with someone who's an outstanding, young, modern, orthodox professional. When she went and did research on him, because he lives in Boston, and she found out, this I could not believe this, I was shocked, that he voted for Donald Trump. She calls me back and she said, I can't go out with him, because I won't go out with anyone who voted for Donald Trump. I mean, that, to me, bordered on ridiculous. I thought that was a little extreme, but I think maybe as a result, I, I would say, if you're comfortable with speaking about politics, do, but probably keep it out of there. Hashkafane muna. Which rabbi has had the greatest effect on you? Something that the girls should be on the lookout for when you date the guy. I'd like to see a guy that has a Rebbe or a mentor. If he has a Rebbe or a mentor, he has someone to guide him in his life. He has someone that he takes his questions to. And if you marry him, for example, you'll be able to uh, have someone that you as a couple can look to for guidance. That's very important. I'll tell you an interesting story of a girl who was married for four months who came to me from the five towns. We married a boy that had been in yeshiva, but now was out in the working world. Well, guess what happened? He used to learn two hours in the morning, and then he'd go to work. That went down to an hour and a half, and an hour, and then half the hour, and fifteen minutes. He stopped going to shul altogether. She thought her marriage was unraveling. I asked the girl, "Does the, does your husband have a rebbe?" she said, "Sure." in the five towns. I said, "Run to him right now and ask him to get involved." And the rebbe got involved and saved the marriage. So it's important that the boy has a rebbe. That's critical. Um, again, how do they spend Shabbat? Where do they spend Shabbat? Do they like guests? Do they not like guests? Do they sing at the table? Did they say, did they say, some more questions you can ask the person. What are you most proud of? What do you think is the greatest accomplishment in life? What would you like to accomplish? How do you think you've changed in the last three to five years? Where do you see yourself in five years from now, ten years from now? If a genie were to give you an opportunity to go back in your life and change an event, what event would you change and why? What's your best quality? What's your best midah? What is your worst midah? What makes you happy? And if you ask the question, what makes you happy? You'll tell if the person is superficial. Is it a Ferrari or is it having a wife and children? Is it being able to give tzedakah? You'll get an assessment of their values. That's very important. Um, Who's your role model in life? Outside from your parents, who do you look up to as role models that you'd like to mimic your life after? Why do you want to get married? What do you expect to bring into a marriage? What would you like a future spouse to bring into the marriage for you? What kind of parent do you think you'll be? Do you think you'll be, you'll, you'll parent your children the same way your parents did with you or would you do it any differently? So those are the kind of questions you want to think about. That gives you an idea. And there's more, obviously more questions. By the way, if you need that, I do have a PDF that I did put together, put together one of my students, a lot of beautiful questions you can ask to deepen the relationship. Oftentimes relationships sputter out and die because the, the, the communication is superficial. You never dig deep down. Oftentimes I see this. When I help the individuals and I train them to ask more deeper, more thoughtful questions, you get better answers. You get to dig into the kishkes of an individual, and it gets better. It's very interesting, though I don't really deal a lot with the Hasidic world, but I get, I get calls time to time. I had a Hasidic girl call me up, and she said to me, that you know, by them it's bishol. They don't go out on formal dates. They meet in the living room of one of the homes, and there they talk a little bit. So she said to me, she called me up and she said, "After date number two, that she wasn't really sure if he's the right guy for her. She thinks it looks good on paper, but she didn't really know much about him. So I prepared her with a bunch of questions. And I said to her, "I think you should go out on a walk with the guy and start asking these questions." She started asking the questions, um, and um, she calls me up three days later. She said, "It's not for me. I don't want to see him. I'm not attracted to him." So we, there we see communication is fundamental. Now I spoke about a top ten list. Now, I want to get into it a little bit more. A top ten list allows me to have a GPS into what kind of a boy or a girl, a guy or a gal that I need to be married to. Otherwise, I'm aimlessly going through a forest which is dense and dark, and I don't know what I'm doing. So, for example, some of the qualities I might want in my top ten list would be enthusiastic, has imuna, uh, believes in having children, is emotionally available and stable, is generous. I'll tell you, I want to stop here and pause. And say, when I talk to girls, I tell them, there are three qualities, three midot that I want them to look for in the boys that they're dating. If we violate any of these three, beware, that's a huge red flag and it might be a sign to exit. And that is, in Hebrew, kin'ah, rather, kamtsan, kasan, kapdan. Kasan, does the boy have any anger issues? If he does, huge red flag, kamtsan. Is he cheap? Does he not spend money on you? I have an amazing thing that happened to me. I got a woman who called me up that was, uh, was a widow. It's a terrible story last week. And she remarried someone who apparently was so cheap. This woman wasn't, didn't make a lot of money. She was a widow with five children that he somehow conned her into paying for the entire physical rehabilitation and construction on his house. And she did it. She spent 20 grand and found out later that he didn't spend a penny on her. She married him. She divorced him very quickly. That he had hundreds of thousands of dollars in the bank. So again, the first one that we have to be on the lookout for in guys is, is he, does he have any anger issues? The Gemara tells us if you live with a man who has an anger issue, you're living in Gehenna. You don't want that. Number two, does he have, let me just do one thing. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Does he have, does he have, um, we said anger. Does he have, is he cheap? And number three, the, is he inflexible? Which is kaptan. So you want a guy that's flexible, that's generous, and doesn't have any anger issues. That's very important. Now moving on, other things that we can put on our list devoted to doing chesed, easygoing outlook, educated, punctual, learning him is important, happy, self-effacing, selfless, strong self of self sense of self, emotionally available and stable. These are the things that we want to put on our list for Top ten list. Now again, we don't have to make all all ten. If we get six out of ten, and we're physically attracted, that's the prescription that it's a go. Next, I want to talk about how do I know if I'm dating someone that I'm dating the individual that could be my Mr. Right or Miss Right. And here's a very simple formula called the Pair Formula. P A I R. P is physical attraction. Now, physical attraction, like I said, does not mean that I see stars and I see bells and whistles. It takes time to develop. But if there's physical attraction, then it's good. Now comes A, acceptance. Can I accept the individual even though he may have some deficiencies? Remember, none of us are perfect. Every one of us has something that in, our, in our background that's not exactly perfect. So we have to ask ourselves, what can I live with and what can I not live with? But if I can accept him for, or her for who where they are, whether there's a medical situation going on, a family problem, then I'm okay. A is also admiration. Do so I admire the individual that I'm dating. Do I look up to him or her? Do they have qualities that I haven't seen in anyone else that I've dated? So that's P-A, I, emotional intimacy. Can I connect with them? Can I expose my vulnerability and privacy to them? Can I share my thoughts with them? Can I solutionize with them? Do I look forward forward to being with them? Do I look, when when someone's calling me on the phone, am I hoping that it's him or her that's calling? That's how we we can tell there's emotional intimacy. Do I share my life with that individual? Am I easily flowing in the communication with that person? And lastly, R is respect. There's no place in a dating relationship where the person will treat you with disrespect. As a matter of fact, I recently had a radio interview which talked about broken, uh, invita- broken engagements. And several girls who came to talk to me after the interview told me that right away after the engagements, they saw clear indications of lack of their affairs. One girl in particular, after she got engaged, a boy was uh, um, at her Shabbos table and he started to try to control his kala, his, his fiance, not letting her talk to her mother. And she saw this kind of dominating attitude and she decided to break off the engagement. Another case where the girl went over to the boy's house after they were engaged for Shabbat and the boy had a brother who was autistic and she noticed how... He was so mean and cruel to him. He wasn't nice to him. He tried to banish him always to another room. And he did that to several of his brothers and sisters. And she said, if he acts to his brothers and sisters that way, certainly they're not the kind of husband that I want in my life. So, we have to be careful with Erechers. Again, how do I determine that? P-A-I-R. Again, physical attraction, acceptance, admiration, emotional intimacy, and R for respect. Remember, we have to reduce our baggage. If there's anything that's bothering you emotionally or psychologically, take the time now while you're single to deal with it. Don't think you're going to telescope your issues into your marriage and think that marriage is going to solve it. If anything, marriage will only exacerbate your emotional or psychological issues and make it worse. So if there's anything that needs to get worked on, OCD or any of that stuff, or any depression or anything that you're bothered with, Deal with it now. Don't wait for it later thinking that marriage is going to solve it. It'll only probably make it worse. It's important to ensure that you take on a great attitude, which means you have to be the sita. And that means that, let me give you a list of eight things that I want you to do. I think appreciatively and gratefully, go get yourself a copy of the thank you card. If you don't have one, send me a text to 305-206-1916 and I'll send it to you. And say that card every day. It puts you in a great mood. I try to say it every day myself for years. It's not a decade almost I've been saying that card. Make a list of 50 grat- gratitudes that you can put together once and say it every day because that starts the day in a fantastic way. Once you're grateful, the day flows. Number two, I speak and act joyfully. Learn how to smile. It's so important. So many people are so serious. But if you smile, you open doors for yourself. Number three, I assume that there's good in my life, that there's good in everything. Number four, I strive for meaningful goals, especially now in this corona epidemic. You've got to be structured. You've got to have goals. You have to get up and organize yourself, make your bed, and and, and stick to a plan and stick to your goals. Number five, I see myself being the way I wish to be, which is I have a mental idea of where I want to be in life, and I have that vision, and I stick to that vision. Six, I focus on solutions. What what outcome am I looking for? I don't focus and dwell on the problem, but how can I resolve the issue? Seven, I let challenges develop my character. That's so important. And eight, I consistently access, access positive states. That's important. We need to maintain that positively, especially now in this time. Let's move on. I'm committed to optimism. It's so important. I realize that I have to be optimistic. Ten tips for making your first date successful. Get to know yourself, number one. Review what am I looking for? Review your top ten list to ensure that when I go out tonight, I'm going to ask thoughtful questions that'll help me understand that he has a majority of the, he or she has the majority of the qualities I'm looking for. Dress for success. Put effort into looking your best, even if you're coming straight from work. Freshen your clothes up. Put some makeup on, perfume, cologne, whatever it takes. Obviously, be punctual. Attitude. Whether or not you're looking forward to this date is not relevant. The vibe that you'd rather be in another place than date will be you know is a guaranteed date killer be positive be present and open-minded remembering that even if you never see this person again they still deserve your undivided attention avoid con- con- controversial and confrontational topics as i told you the story before about donald trump show interest in the date even if you're sure that it's not for you it's only proper Derek Ericks. that's so important now The search for perfection. There's no perfect person out there. I'm sure you've heard it, but have you internalized it? Let me tell you a cute story, but this sometimes mimics our attitude. Grandma is sitting on the beach watching her little grandson Shimmy build castles in the sand with a shovel and pail. He looks so adorable with his little baseball cap and his blonde curls. Suddenly a great wave comes in from the ocean and washes Shimmy into the darkness of the ocean. From the depths of her soul, grandma cries out to Hashem, please Hashem, please God, help me. Please bring back my precious little shimmy. With that, the tide rolls in and carries back her little grandson. Again, grandma looks lovingly at shimmy playing in the sand. Then she looks up toward the heaven and she says, so what happened to the baseball cap? We won it all. We don't realize that if Hashem gives us 90 out of 100, we're still not grateful. So let's be more realistic. Now, what are the ingredients for a successful marriage? So many people go into marriage totally unprepared, not prepared to work at marriage, not prepared to commit to marriage, not prepared to sacrifice, not, to, not willing to bend, not willing to compromise, not willing to respect the other person, and not willing to devote themselves to making the other person happy. What else would explain a divorce rate of 60 to 70%? They think of me, making me happy, doing it my way, and they want more attention, more money, more understanding, and more excitement. No, marriage is about learning how to give, how to share, how to care, how to think about the other person's needs and desires. If you take a look at the shorish of the Hebrew word ahava, the shorish, the root of that word is the two letters, he and bet which means give. When you give and you become a giver, you're ready for marriage. When both people work at the marriage, the marriage can work. Everyone wants to be happy when they marry and you'll be happy when you make your dating partner happy. Standing under the chuppah, Rabbi Eliyahu Desla says, we're all idealistic. Each person is dreaming of making their new spouse happy. But suddenly, a transformation takes place after the wedding. Too many people think, I got to look out for my stuff. If I'm not to me, who's going to be for me. And they think, and they get so fixated on making sure, taking care of my needs, my priorities. But Rabbi Desla continues, remember the rest of the Pasuk. But if, only, if I'm only for myself, what am I? If i only care for myself, if I'm not thinking about the other person, I'm just a narcissist who's thinking only about themselves and their own needs. He explains that your greatness is defined by the size of your Ani, which is the Hebrew word for I. An individual whose I or Ani is him alone is a small person. The individual who incorporates his wife and his children is a bigger person. The individual who incorporates his community is even bigger. And the individual who incorporates his whole larger cities even bigger. So that the extent that you care about others makes you a greater individual. Let me just tell you something. Marriage is not about keeping score or who gave more, receives more. It's it's about, it's not about tallying points. The person should be able to give love without adding it to the debit column. And you should be able to receive love without feeling a sense of debt. It's great to marry someone you love, but it's more important to love the person you marry. Once you make that choice, you work at it 100% to love that person no matter what happens. The idea is to choose the person you love And then love your choice. Sometimes you're a little surprised. Instead of just throwing in the towel, you tell yourself, I'm going to work at it. Everything requires work. You just can't give up on it. Marriage doesn't make you automatically happy. It's up to you to make your marriage happy and satisfying. A good relationship is more process of learning to dance than choosing the perfect partner. Because understand something that love is a feeling, marriage is a contract, and relationships take work. So get into the habit of realizing that you're going to flex your muscles and you're going to get to work. One of the transformations you need to make when you're getting married is you have to transform from the safety and the island of I to the uncertainty of we. You have to start thinking as a team. You're single now, but start thinking in your mind, what's it like to be a we instead of an I, right? We're worried. I'm so used to making my own decisions, spending money how I like, using my time and resources in the manner I see fit. If I marry, all that's going to change. That could be scary. What if I'm not a good mom or dad? Am I ready for the responsibility of marriage? My decisions and time won't be my own. I'll have to share that with someone else now. What if I don't like who I become or I get bored with my partner? No. If you break down the roots of the word "decide" when you make a decision, the translation means to cut off in Latin. It's the same thing as pesticide, homicide, suicide. When we decide to choose a life partner, we're killing off the opportunity to build off the to build a relationship with anyone else. But it's your greatest compliment. Because you're choosing to dedicate your life to someone else, someone exclusively, right? We can only win if we play. The only way we can build is when we journey away from the safety of I to the uncertainty of we. And take that leap of faith. But you're not taking just a, a leap of faith without having done your work. You've gone out. You've asked questions. You've done your research. You've communicated effectively. You've gotten to understand them. You've had... Hopefully dozens if not hundreds of hours of communication together where you've made sure you have common goals, common values. Does that involve growing pains? Most certainly yes, when you have to transform from I to we. But what's your alternative? If you have confidence that the person is worth building a life with, then you have more to gain exponentially together than to remain single. If you learn that you're not with a partner with whom you can build, painful as it may be, it's better to learn out of front and move on. We can only win if we play. The only way we can begin to build is if we journey away from the safety of I to the uncertainty of we. How do you do that? How do you become a we person? Number one, willingness to share thoughts and feelings with someone else. You've got to open up. You've got to learn how to share and expose your vulnerability. Number two, willingness to take a risk with someone after you feel you've done all that you can in terms of human effort or ishtad lut. Number three, you trust that the person will have your back in time of need. Number four, you develop together as a team to create a partnership. Number five, you can be vulnerable without worry that the person will judge you or criticize you. Number six, you can accept the influence of someone else in your life and show openness to navigating that in an unfamiliar way. Number seven, you're willing to put the greater needs of the relationship above your personal needs. That's important. That it's not just about me now. I'm in it for the investment of the greater good of both of us. Number eight, looking at how your differences can be complementary. Remember, you're never going to have people that are identical. As a matter of fact, some leading authorities in in the subject of leading say there'll always be 10 areas of of disagreement between a husband and a wife. So forget about the fact that you're always going to agree about everything. It's not the case at all. There'll always be areas that you don't agree. But you can agree to disagree. Number nine, you think like a couple, keeping the other person constantly in mind, always thinking about the other individual. While we're there, let's talk about some things that are must do. Keep it private. Don't talk about your dates with too many people. You need a minimum of one person. I often t- tell my clients that I want two people involved in the dating. Your mother, that's it. Keep it quiet. You don't want Ayn Haran. You don't want people talking about You only need to discuss it with a mentor, a dating coach, a Rob or rebbitzin, and your parents. That's it. But don't share with too many people. Two, get to know your strengths and weaknesses. And your and his strength or her strengths and weaknesses as well. You only truly know a person when you can identify the good and not so good about them. What write down five things you like about them and five things you dislike about them? This can help you decide. Keep physical touch out of the equation. I know this is a hard one, but I want to tell you something. I've lectured ad nauseum about this. What happens when a person is touched, specifically a woman, the, the hormone oxytocin goes into overdrive into the blood, and she thinks. That he's madly in love with her, and he's going to marry her. Far be it. It's so not true. Because what happens is when touch, we see that when people are touched, they can be affected in very interesting ways. You know, I, I saw a story recently about a person went into a restaurant and the service was terrible. But the waiter kept putting his hand on the, on the patron's shoulder. He ended up giving him a 25% more generous tip. And the study was revealing that this is what happens when we're touched. When we're touched, we feel like we're closer to people. So as a result, you have to realize something, something something need to be saved for the future. So let's try to practice a little bit of the Shmiat Now, on the area of should I settle, I want to talk about this a little bit. The younger you are, the more time you have to look for an ideal spouse. It doesn't mean you'll always find them, but you have more time. As we get a little older, we have to become a little bit more realistic. It's important to examine all the possibilities. Perhaps you're finding potential mates, but they don't display mutual interest. So examine your expectations. Are they unrealistic? You may Are they unrealistic? You may want someone great-looking, but perhaps you're overweight or unattractive yourself. Or maybe despite your fabulous looks, you're destined for someone who's mediocre-looking but has a great personality. You may want someone exceptionally smart and bright. Perhaps such people don't find you stimulating. Or perhaps even though you're an intellectual, you're destined for someone who possesses normal intelligence but an exceptional personality. Open your horizons. I can't stress that enough. Don't box yourself in deciding that you know what you're looking for and what you need. People often create fantasies in their childhood that's very hard for them to shed. And unfortunately, they can't even modify them. So, and ask yourself, maybe I'm afraid of marriage. Maybe I'm afraid of the responsibilities of marriage. So, it's key that every time as we get into an older time in our life, we need to reassess our values and see are they still as applicable as they were 10 or 15 years ago or 5 years ago. Let me share an interesting Devar Torah from uh, this week's Perashah. And I want to emphasize on this concept of gratitude. This week's Perashah is called the Halotechah, when the Kohen, Aharonah Kohen, is going to light the candles. He's going to light them in Ora. And this week's Perashah, unfortunately, is, a, um, is not a great um, reflection on our nation because there's a lot of complaining going on for meat, for water. This is when Moshe Rabbeinu loses his privilege to go to Eretz Yisrael. It's hard for Moshe Rabbeinu when the nation complains. He cries to Hashem, did I conceive them? Or did I give birth to them? And you should say to me, Hashem, carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a suckling child. Moshe Rabbeinu was clearly at a loss. Parenting is never easy. He had a tough role to fill. He was dealing with adults, but they were complaining, right? And then he, and then he got upset with them. Why couldn't he handle the nation's complaints? You know why? Because Moshe Rabbeinu was an ishtog. From the time he was born, his mother perceived the goodness in him. But Terao toki about Naomi, it says that when she saw Moshe, when she gave birth to him, and she saw that he was good. And then in this week's perasha Yitro, Moshe Rabinu's father-in-law, comes to visit him. And Moshe Rabbeinu says to him, come with us to edit Israel." And he says to him, listen to this. the ha-tov asher yetiv Hashem imanu with the goodness with which Hashem will benefit us, we'll do good for you. In his request to his in-law, Yitro, Moshe repeats the word talk five times. It'll be so good, he keeps saying to him. He didn't yet know what it, mean, what it, it wouldn't be so good that it would take many more years. But Moshe Rabbeinu was so fixated on seeing the positive in life. For him, positive speech was an automatic. And this is the lesson in these weeks parasha. Moshe Rabbeinu says the word talk five times. It's good. Life is good. And that's our attitude. That we have to believe it's good, right? That you have to, when you say in this week's Perasha, that when you light the candles, you have to light up your life and you should make every effort to light up the other people's lives. That's very key. Make every effort to light up people's lives. One second. Let me just close out our discussion with some key areas the need for self esteem. Many individuals come to me with, with lacking in self-esteem and that could be a crisis because when there's a lack of self-esteem, there's a problem in the dynamics of the relationship. Each person in a relationship must have healthy self-esteem in order to understand and accept the things about the person that they're going out with without misconstruing its meaning. If I have low self-esteem, I take things personally, I can become in conflict much more than I should be a self-confident person can overlook other people's words and actions, not letting them bother him or her, not taking them personally and reacting inappropriately. Furthermore, a person with a healthy self-esteem doesn't allow another person to define them or manipulate them into becoming someone that they're not. So it's important that we work on our self-esteem. So so many people ask me, how do I do that? So I tell them, write down a list of your abilities and talents. You'll be amazed by how much you can do and how much talents that you have. Work on those areas. If you're a fantastic photographer, Take photography, take up pictures, become an expert at it. You love to bake, that's what you should focus and concentrate on. Whatever your strength is, that's what you should spend a lot of time with. Realize that the only person you can change is yourself. You can't change the other person. You can only change yourself and your reactions to the other person. Which means you need to understand that imuna means that someone did not do that to me. Hashem told that person to do it. I'm not here to start a fight or argue with people. If a husband can't keep his stuff clean, his wife can constantly berate him or she can learn to take deep breaths and realize that's the way it is. I'll work with him, but I'm not going to lose my cool. I'm not throwing in the towel. You can only change your own actions, your own responses, and your own attitude, which will hopefully affect the actions and attitude and responses of your spouse. You you consider yourself to be a mirror. If I do something good, then my spouse or my dating partner is going to realize that. And then they're going to also want to be able to do as well with me. Because they're going to learn from me. Let me close with a beautiful poem. What doesn't matter is how I dress or how big my, my, my and baggy my shirts are. What doesn't matter is how I look with no makeup to mar the true beauty of my face. What doesn't matter is how I talk with shy and quiet words. What doesn't matter is how I think with never before thought of ideas. What doesn't matter is what people may say of me with people forever gossiping. What doesn't matter is what people think of me, because I already know what I think of myself. What does matter is what I say, what I think, what I do. What matters is what I believe, what I love, what I hate. What matters is what I know, what I want to know, how I act. What matters is not what other people think or do or say, but what I, I have done to make the world I live in, to be a place worthy of life and living. By Rabbi Rebbe Miller would tell us that we're in this world to perform, that our lives are really like theatrical productions, and we have to do the best job to perform for Hashem. Because after 120 years, years when we leave this world, and the curtain comes down on our life, there'll be one personality in the audience clapping, and that'll be the master of the universe, HaKadosh Baruch Hu Hashem, and he'll clap and say, you did a great job. It was a pleasure and an honor to be able to make my presentation tonight. I came with my toolbox because I wanted to help you Guys out there, do the best that you can in marriage. You have to realize there's work involved. There's effort involved. You have to build your kli. You have to build your vessel of effort. Networking. Putting together your resume. Um, taking quality pictures. Becoming an effective communicator. Davim to Hashem. Going to the site, holy sites like the Babcha Rebbe's kever or the Samar Rebbe when you're in Israel. Do all that you can and then once you feel you've done all that you can turn to Hashem and say, Hashem, I've done it all. Now it's your job and He'll do His share. Thank you so much for the committee for inviting me and now I'll open the floor to any questions. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by torahanytime.com.